Opening communications. Initializing Altarian frequency. Establishing connections. Designations. DJ. Dude Link. Connected. Scotty. Dude Link. Unavailable. Raven. Dude Link. Connected. Jero. Dude Link. Connected. Vixie. Dude Link. Unavailable. Kaiser. Dude Link. Unavailable. Welcome to Dude's Cast 2020. I'm DJ. I'm J. Rowley Offendo with dick in my mouth. I have meat in my mouth. <laughs> I'm Raven, and you heard it here. J. Rowley loves meat in his mouth. I really do. Especially the man meat. Sauce is great. Uh, Scotty's not here today because Scotty doesn't know what's wrong with his audio. Vixie is under the weather, so she decided not to join us, and Kaiser is at work, so once again, he is mysteriously missing. Head on over to our website at dudesfromalteria.com and maybe check out the store. If you haven't been there already, go to facebook.com slash dudesfromalteria or reddit.com slash r slash dudesfromalteria and give us a like or a follow. And I have no clever intro beyond that. Let's get started on this Star Trek shtif, where we can talk about how Jero likes me. Look, 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 you gotta understand. I like sausage, okay? Sausage is delicious. And I really like it when it's in my mouth. So what do you want from me? You love those juices just going down the back of your throat. Especially that German sausage. Oh, God. German sausage. And you brew it in some beer. You know, you cook it in beer before you eat it. Oh. Squirts all up in your mouth and down your throat and you choke on it. Whew. Only the Germans can do something so good. What are your thoughts on... uh? Pineapple juice. Uh, pineapple juice breaks down the proteins that you swallow when you're eating meat, and it's it's amazing. It, it, it helps you to be able to uh, have more. You're uh, got a lot of background noise there, J-Ro. Yeah, I have a nephew who is ADHD with my ADHD son, so apparently they're in the hall currently. Sorry, yeah. that's Sounds not... Like the door's like wide open. It is not. It is closed. So Star Trek, how's that? What are we doing for Star Trek, right? Star Trek, motion picture. Hmm. You know, the one with Card in it? Mm-hmm. And the he guy had sex that... with Luke Skywalker? Uh, yes, he did. That lightsaber came in handy. I thought it was the Schwartz. No, you're thinking of something else. Yeah, you're thinking about that one time that Bill Pullman put his space balls on top of Rick Moranis' forehead. <laughs> and he couldn't breathe in that. Well, it, it would be kind of hard. You, you can't breathe under covers. Would be very hard. There was something about stroking his dark helmet. Yep. Oh my God, we are bad today. This is what happens <laughs> when Vixie's not around, right? She's our moral compass. <laughs> She's not here to f- murder us. With him. <laughs> wow. The hell are you guys talking about? I don't know. You're from Australia, no, New Zealand. So whatever. It's the same accent. <laughs> anyway, apparently, okay. Here's 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 one of the things. Apparently, the guy that plays uh, Decker. Did some kind of pedophilia act? I don't know. And then he went on to play a pastor on Seventh Heaven. So, oh yeah, that guy, that was him. Yes, I just looked it up. He sexually abused three underage girls between the years of 1973 and 19. 19- okay, so post Star Trek motion picture pre Seventh Heaven because motion picture was like 70 
1972. Star Trek The Motion Picture came out in 1979. It was in response okay. to 2001. Okay. Paramount was trying to compete with Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope. Which at that, to- at that point was just called Star Wars. It was pointed out that they already had one with the rights for Star Trek. I gotta be honest, it's interesting that they would have cast him at that point. Well, he didn't get caught until 2004. Oh, did it take that long? Anyway, dude's a pro pedophile, so... Now, here's my question. Do you guys know his backstory with Kirk? You just watched the movie. Do you understand his backstory, the character's backstory? Yeah, he totally thought that Kirk was a total... He was handpicked by Kirk to captain the Enterprise, and then Kirk stole that from him. Nope. He was supposed to be the captain of the Enterprise during Star Trek. No, he was the son of, I think it was an Admiral Decker in the third, fourth, fifth, very, very early on in the series. A guy that Kirk supposedly got killed, but if you watch the episode, you realize that there, the dude was not salvageable. But his son blamed Kirk for his death. That is the connection between the original series and that movie. Will Decker... He's the son of Commodore Matthew Decker from the original series episode, The Doomsday Machine. Yippee. Initial takeaway, starting at the beginning of the movie, the first 10 minutes, pretty much no English. There's like three or four lines that are English in the first 10 minutes. Dude, those Klingons looked pretty badass. I think that's the most badass version of the Klingons I've ever seen. They did. Their ships looked... Well, their ships looked like normal battle crew, but they... But like very old ones. Which would fit when compared to later in the series. But they also had, like, their ridges were a lot cooler. Yeah, they, they go, like, halfway back on the head. They don't just stop yep. at the forehead. The official word on it is that they did a uh, costume change. That's the official word. But then DS9 comes in and says, hey, hey, let's make an actual story out of it. And it was all about a virus? Was it a virus? That caused it to be... A retro retrograde in their abilities to fight, which is why Kirk was able to kick the shit out of so many Klingons, not just in a battle with a ship, but also hand-to-hand. Anyway, yeah, it was a retrograde virus, but it wasn't really a retrograde virus. It was they were experimenting with the same superhuman augmentation that created Khan. Yeah, yeah. since they were using Eugenics. something that was developed for humans... It was overriding their Klingon DNA, which caused them to look more human and lose a lot of their strength. Did it also cause them to lose their two hearts? Yep. And then they reversed it. And Now, now, now back to the motion picture. I know. I don't know why we even changed from that. <laughs> yeah. First 10 minutes, almost no English. Right? Most of the rest of the two hours, all English. And then... The first 10 minutes is what established the Klingon language, which is now a college course you can take in several colleges. That's half of it, because the other half is on Vulcan. Oh, yeah, that's right. And... Molinar and... But Vulcan didn't take off like Klingon did. No, it didn't. So, which is sad. I get the, the Klingon part, because that introduces the power of the main antagonist in mm-hmm. the film. Mm-hmm. It could have done without the Vulcan thing. Just say Spock's not there, and then he shows up. Then, of course, issues with the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Because they're in the mid-retrofit when emergency. Right. 
But remember, they had that really cool floating uh, anti-grav device for that ginormous-looking piece of equipment that some little girl was driving across the corridor. They had all kinds of... I got a real kick out of all of the people just falling in space. Like, as you're panning through space when Kirk is going to the Enterprise, because as part of the issues, the transporters don't work right now. So he has to take a shuttle over. And, like, as you're leaving where he beams up to in the shuttle, the random guy just falls through the scene. The Vulcan, right? No, it's it's just some guy in the background in an oh, EV okay. suit. <laughs> That's right. He just <laughs> falls down about mid-screen. I'm like, okay. Then as you're cruising through and they're passing all of the scaffolding, there's like several more people just falling. As you circle the Enterprise, there's more people falling through space. When they finally are leaving Space Dock, there's a dude on the scaffolding who actually does a backflip as he's like, yeah, it's going. I'm like, what? It's funny, but what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> See, and that was all part of the whole ridiculousness that Gene Roddenberry spent money on that he wasn't even allowed to. He went so over budget on this movie. It's ridiculous. When he's going to the Enterprise... He goes down on the outside of the scaffolding, around to the front of the ship, into the scaffolding, <laughs> on the far side of the ship, all the way around to the back end, back around to the side that he passed on to dock. <laughs> yep. I would have been, dude, Scotty, yeah, it's a nice ship, but why did we just not go past the nacelles and dock on the side of the ship? Why, why do we have to go all the way around? Because that's where everybody was at. It was in the other side. <laughs> I have a meeting with our new Vulcan science officer in like 20 minutes, and this flight is taking 19. You were saying that Scotty sucks nuts at piloting a shuttle. No, he, he did it very skillfully. I mean, he yes, did he not did. hit anything. <laughs> yeah, he just but, got lost. Like a typical fucking man, he got lost on his way from one point to another and ended up taking a long fucking way. He forgot to ask Uhuru where to go. <laughs> she wasn't even there. But she was on the bridge. She was in charge of communications. <laughs> See, really, what they should have done is they should have asked the transporter chief chick, okay, since we have to take the shuttle, how do we get there? Magic. Which way do we go? Oh, we go all the way around in a spiral, right? We gotta circle that bitch. <laughs> right? Right? Circle. Yep. We're circling the, the wagons. No, you gotta go all the way around, like 360 plus another 180. You gotta go all the way around it, and then... You gotta do a 720. 720. But then they leave, and engine trouble... I don't know how a warp engine can have a wormhole effect that then sucks an asteroid into it. Hold up. You missed something there. When they left, they did another go around on the Enterprise for another like 10 minutes. That's true. Well, and the then Sulu. Yeah, the camera pan. Yeah, and then they went into warp one and their antimatter imbalance creates a wormhole. And sucks an asteroid into it. And run, uh, I don't know how. And then there's Time dilation, where it's like, Whoa. Which is one of my favorite scenes ever. And then they're like, use phasers. And then Decker's like, nah. 
Torpedo. And a whole argument ensues in slow motion. There, there was no argument. It was just, no! Yeah, it was just Decker jumping across the bridge yelling, belay that order, use photon torpedo. Yeah, it's, it's very dramatic. Not really. It is. It's very dramatic, and with not knowing how black holes, wormholes, or asteroids work, it was fantastic for the time. They are saved in the nick of time, and then the real entry of Spock, he puts Decker in his place and says, yeah, I'm cooler than you. And fixes it fixes the uh, engine issue just by sitting down at the station, looking at him like, "Okay, I'm gonna go uh, consult with the engineer with these uh, fuel ratios now." Then they can warp without creating a wormhole because they're balanced. And then V'ger. Then the hot chick dies because of V'ger and gets replaced. So she's not out of the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now she's wearing even less than she was wearing before. That's true. Speaking of... A bathrobe. I do have to agree with the rest of the cast that the uniforms in that show are about the worst Star Trek uniforms I've ever seen. Okay, here's another note on that. You ready? Everybody hated them. They hated them so much that when Paramount gave the green light for the Wrath of Khan, they said, we'll come back if you get rid of those uniforms. We ain't wearing them. If that's what you want, none of us are coming back. And that is why Star Trek II uniform, which my opinion is the best uniform in the whole Star Trek universe, was born. Was I because do like it, was, it. It was a lot closer to the uh, Naval and Marine Corps. Like, all of our current U.S. military, it was a lot closer to that situation than it was anything near the motion picture. And they were all fine with it. And according to the trivia, sometimes Shatner's corset shows through. Exactly. Yes, it does, actually. Yes, it did. Shatner actually started getting a gut really early in his career. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, there's not a damn thing wrong with it. But in he was supposed to continue to have that physique that a super duper hot chick. They are the ugliest uniforms. Oh, my God. And then they got the little belly oval that they yeah. don't really say what it is apparently it was supposed to send medical information to the med bay <laughs> but there's no lights there's no nothing it's just a, a, a black oval with like some lines on it and you're like what what, what is that what that the is hell so is that <laughs> that is so distracting and they move and it bounces a little bit and you're like man first it's ugly and then it's got that eyesore on it well, it's even funnier is that, like, for everybody else, it was a belt buckle, essentially. But for Kirk, who is the Admiral, it was just attached to his uniform. It was nothing. It was just, like, it wasn't even a belt buckle. Fox was just attached to it. Uh, Decker's was just attached to it. It's yeah. like a union suit, about two sizes too small, with an oval on it. that yep. sticks out about an inch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so Spock enters, fixes the engines, they meet up with V'ger, mm -hmm. figure out how to communicate with them, they take the Enterprise inside, forcibly. <laughs> V'ger essentially eats the Enterprise. Oh, I thought they raped V'ger, because that's how feminists are. Tractor beam. Tractor beam. They were forced that's inside. Right. 
was a hand pulling them inside. Yep. <laughs> now, once they were inside, there was some rapage going on with Spock, because he shot himself in the orifice, and tried to connect and got fried and shot back out. Do not ever forget the look on his face during that 20-minute ride from the airlock into V'ger. It was a very intense stare at the beginning. Oh, it's very, very intense. Then the rocket goes, and then it runs out of fuel, so he throws it behind him to get more thrust forward. Mm -hmm. And it's just like blank Spock stare as he's narrating everything that he sees as he goes through. That's exactly correct. He runs out of inertia, and he's like, oh, right. I want to mind meld with it. Oh, God, it's shocking me. I actually do genuinely, I genuinely do like Star Trek The Motion Picture. I really do. It's so, so, so long. And you're like, why is this even in the movie? But the reality of it was is that Rod Mary thought that this was his one and only chance, which is why he called it Star Trek The Motion Picture instead of Star Trek 1 the motion picture, or a Star Trek 1 V'ger, or whatever he could have called it. If it would have aired as a two-hour TV special, it would have been called In Thy Name. Exactly. This was supposed to be an episode. I'm not gonna lie, I've tried to watch this half a dozen times over the last month, and there's so much there is dead space that I fall asleep. Yes! And then I wake up and it's over, I'm like, wow, now I gotta start it all over again. Where it's was true. I? What was going on? Then you skip through, you're like, uh, that looks... No? I think I recognize that. <laughs> and then you skip back, you're like, I definitely recognize this. And then you're like, wait, I recognize this 20 minutes later, too. What the hell? But, yeah, it, it's... I do like it. it. It was a great flick. I do I do actually like the movie. Um, I do like that he did use the original theme song, which... This is the only movie of the the original series movies that has the original theme song. Well, it actually even wasn't the original theme song for the most part. It was written by Alexander Courage and then translated into yes, the next same generation. one from the original series. And he uh, Roddenberry liked it so much that he used it for this movie and then used it for Next Generation. The original series was an operatic singer. I think you're. I think. I, think you're messed up on that because TNG and original series themes have nothing to do with each See, other. See, general trivia, Gene Roddenberry still loved the main theme song and score that he used. Okay, so it is just this one. That he used it for Next Generation. Oh, and it was reused in Star Trek V. It was. After not being used for the second, third, and fourth films. I, I love that. I love that song. This movie was the basis for McDonald's first movie-based Happy Meal. Oh, really? That yeah. I did not know. So, the motion picture is available on Prime, and if you're watching it on uh, Prime Video on the, the web, as long as you move your mouse and it pops up the controls, on the side it'll have all of these nice little trivia things that show up. That's where I learned about the uniforms, the castated uniforms, which required assistance in order to be removed. In particular, William Shatner had started to wear a corset in the 70s, the lines of which can be slightly visible underneath his uniform in certain scenes. One of the cast's conditions for returning in a sequel was to have new uniforms, which led to the creation of the red tunic uniforms seen in later films. 
Then the Happy Meal one is the next one that's queued up. Let's see what pops up next. Next one is about the Klingon theme music. It became the iconic Klingon music, first of all. Yep. The Klingon theme music is introduced for the first time in this movie when the Klingons encounter V'ger. This theme is used throughout subsequent television episodes and movies. Yes. Jerry Goldsmith, the composer for it, drew inspiration from Russian classical music for the theme. Yep. And actually, that is one of my favorite themes for the Star Trek series in general. And Jerry Goldsmith really is a genius as far as Star Trek. This film marked the first appearance of the ridged forehead Klingons. That's why it's so badass, because it's, it's the original. In the original Star Trek, the original series, Roddenberry wanted them to look alien, but budget constraints prevented this from being done beyond giving the actors dark makeup and fake eyebrows. That sounds much like brown face that we're not supposed to do, because it's stupid and never looks good. So Actually, that's not entirely accurate. I will agree, it's not entirely accurate. Anyway, anyway. So the change in the Klingon's appearance was partially yes. addressed in Trials and Tribulations 96, yes. establishing the existence of smooth forehead Klingons. However, ridged forehead Klingons appeared in the prequel series, Star Trek Enterprise, prompting a satisfactory explanation to the brief existence of smooth forehead Klingons. The episodes Affliction and Divergence, both from 2005, showed their existence resulted from a viral mutation caused by Klingon experimentation with enhanced human DNA. Character Worf, when asked about the change, simply said, they are Klingons, and it's a long story. Alright, next one. The Klingon words spoken by the Klingon captain were actually invented by James Doohan. No shit! Commander Scott. Yeah. Linguist Mark, I don't know, Ockrand? Later devised grammar and syntax rules for the language, along with more vocabulary words in Star Trek III Search for Spock, and yes. wrote a Klingon dictionary. He based all of his work on those few Klingon lines in this movie. No shit. So that they even made sense retrospectively. Oh, that is cool. So, yeah. Kapla, kapla, success. Bach. These very fire. few, the first 10 minutes of the show, set up the entire Klingon language. Klingon language. Oh my god, that is actually really cool, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, the, mo the more you know. I mean, next fun fact, Mark Leonard okay. is the Klingon captain. This is his third alien species That's in the Star right. Trek franchise that he played. Who is he most... I know who his first one is, but I want to ask this. Who is his most popular character in the Star Trek series? The most popular will be his third one. Yes. No, his second. Would have been his second, not his third. So yeah, his so first his most one... most famous would be his second. Okay. And the second one is... From the beginning. We'll go chronologically. Okay. First one was the Romulan commander in Balance of Terror episode from 1966. Episode 9, one of my favorite episodes, because it actually introduced the Romulans. The second one, and his most famous, is Spock's father, the Vulcan ambassador, Sarek, which Correct. he first played in Journey to Babel in 1967, and he reprised that role several times between 73 and 91. 
Yes, he did. And for those of you listeners who guessed that right, go check out any Vegas casino or Atlantic City, and maybe you'll win some money. I don't know. You won't win money from us, but just the satisfaction of knowing you are correct, it should be enough from us. I mean, I can't reward you with anything because we're not worth anything. <laughs> He's the Klingon commander in the motion picture. He's the one that actually calls out Bach. This next fun fact is one that I didn't know. The motion picture is the only film in the franchise to be rated G by the Motion Picture Association of America. That is correct. The other films are PG and later PG-13. And remember, a few episodes back, even the director's cut of the motion picture uh, had an upped rating to PG. Lieutenant Zahn, the new Vulcan officer. Who's supposed to be the chief medical officer. He is directly tied to the whole Nimoy controversy when he didn't want to come back, when he declined. Yes. A new Vulcan character was created, yes. uh, Lieutenant Zahn. Yes. And then when he was the actor that played him, was an employee of an agent, was dating a young actor, David uh, Gautreau, who had no agent of his own. So she suggested him for the role, and he got it. And then he was told that it was actually for a movie. And mm -hmm. then Nimoy finally agreed to do the movie, and Spock replaced Zahn in the script. So Gautreau was given the smaller role of Commander Branch. Yep. So he still got a part in the movie, but it was just a smaller part. And I do like that the battle cruisers have a aft torpedo bay, because then it looks like their little ship is shitting torpedoes. You know, only the lead ship ever fired a torpedo. The other guys just kind of... Yeah, they just were there. They were essentially just there to be destroyed first. Yep. While the Klingon captain or whatever general was like, we're all gonna die. All right, so officially, Nimoy agreed to appear in the film only after Paramount agreed to a settlement of his lawsuit against them, allowing his television series likeness to be used by advertisers. Oh, that feels like uh, kind of a preamble to Crispin Glover with Back to the Future. The lawsuit began when Nimoy saw the now-famous Heineken beer advertisements that features Patrick Phillips. So, continuity. In the original version, Spock's first scene shows him squinting into bright sunshine, preceded by a reverse shot showing a dark sky. This was error-corrected in the director's edition with a new landscape and sky on Vulcan. Which has been the desert planet of Vulcan. Which is actually the first introduction of Vulcan that it's an inhospitable planet. James Duhon also devised the Vulcan words heard during the Kolinar sequence. Smart guy. Smart guy there. The scenes were originally shot in English, and when it was decided to change the dialogue to Vulcan, Duhon wrote lines that fit the existing lip movements. Some of the subtitles were rearranged to make this less obvious. That's kind of cool. So Vulcan is all based on similar lip movements to the English that I guess it's supposed to be based on I that. like that, actually. That is pretty cool. I'm going to move on to a James Duhon thing, since we're at it. It's a little tangent. 
he was actually, he's Canadian, first of all, so this whole Scottish accent thing he's got is totally manufactured. James Doohan is Canadian as Canadian can be. He was born in, I think, Vancouver. He fought in World War II and lost two of his fingers on his right hand during a accidental firing of his weapon. I can't remember if it was in training. I think it was pretty sure it was in training. Lost his fingers. Got sent to Normandy anyway, which he was on Juno Beach. Yeah, I think it was Juno. This is where he, he was at because he was Canadian and Canadian Army went to Juno. Lost his fingers, but he fought all throughout World War II with missing fingers. And then he went to his acting career. When you watch him in Star Trek, he hides his right hand a lot. And it's because he didn't want that to affect his movie career. Point is, an amazing man. Did some awesome jobs. So, Vulcan was filmed in Yellowstone National Park. Fantastic. And I didn't catch this, but somebody did. The Vulcan master that does the mind meld with Spock, when she finds out about the space consciousness calling to him, her face drops with obvious disappointment. And when talking about Kolinar as total logic, she beams with obvious pride, which both are feelings that a Vulcan master shouldn't feel. That's true. So even the actors, because they're human, cannot play Vulcans very well. Because if you look at her face, when he uh, uh, says no, her face is actually pretty, um, she doesn't understand. It's confusion and disappointment. The actress didn't actually get that very well. That's pretty cool. Some of the clothing worn by the aliens in the movie, seen mm-hmm. at Starfleet headquarters, You're right. It was made from unused bolts of cloth left over from the Ten Commandments from 1956. No shit. That is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I had no idea about that. Yeah, I didn't either. It makes sense, because you think about all the extras on Earth, and they're all wearing some kind of a, a robe situation. This movie, it's a great movie. But when you're sick, it's not a good movie to watch on a regular basis. It's one you watch once every five years. It put me to sleep six times trying to watch it. It's also good for if you're trying to sleep, turn it on. You'll go right to sleep like a fucking baby. I have insomnia. I was asleep by 9 o'clock last night. See? See, there you go. No, 9.30. 9.30, because I made it an hour in. Boom. Right there. Great insomniac movie. That's great. To finish the movie, Decker... Merges with V'ger. Correct. And V'ger is a robot, in, in case you missed it. Uh, artificial mechanical intelligence. Based on the Voyager six. 2? Voyager 6. Probe. 6 probe. Which never actually got sent out because it was only Voyager 1 or 2. Right. But was lost in a black hole, was improved by a robotic uh, intelligence on a planet, sent back to merge with the creator, which turns out to be Decker chooses to merge with it after proving that humans are the creator. And Kirk's like, no, don't do it. Don't sleep with the robot alien. Which, coming from Kirk, that's like, whoa, are are you feeling okay, man? Right? What was your uh, STD blocker there? You forgot you should have done that. Why aren't you jumping on this? Anyway. Because Kirk isn't a womanizer, that is totally a myth. I know, there are two that even 
were attempted, but and he turned them down. Anyway, Decker's like, I want this as much as you want the Enterprise, because I want this robot alien body that was my girlfriend before the Enterprise, but now she's dead, but brought back by the robots. It's complicated, and they they, they hook up in a glowing pillar of light, and V'ger and Decker disappear, and the Enterprise is left floating in space. And they make half-robot babies that we never see again. That's an illusion. Oh, is it? Well, yeah, because they're, like, circling each other in the pillar of light, and then they're gone. And then an asteroid comes, and they shoot it out of space with a torpedo. So, fun facts all around. Go for it, DJ. See you later, dudes. You are a son of a bitch. Dude Link terminated.